welcome. Looking forward to teaching from Leviticus 16 and 17 tonight. Last week I pulled off five chapters because it was dealing with clean and unclean. And we're kind of building up to chapter 16. In fact, chapter 16 in the book of Leviticus is key in the nation of Israel teaching about the Day of Atonement, on the day where the sins of the nation of Israel were atoned for, but also the day where the tabernacle and the altar of incense and the uh, altar of sacrifice and the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant and maybe even the table of the showbread is not mentioned in here, but these things, the implements made afresh made anew every year on the Day of Atonement. So everything in the book of Leviticus kind of building up until we get to chapter 16. And we had there from chapter 10, as will be mentioned in the first verse of chapter 16, of the death of Aaron's two sons because they had offered profane fire before the Lord. So back in chapter 10, when you had the dedication of the temple, the tabernacle, and they came in to the Lord in an unprescribed way, an unprescribed manner, and the Lord consumed them, they died. Now you have the Lord explaining to Israel the proper way to approach him there between the cherubim on the mercy seat. But it was only for the high priest who could make this approach, and it was only once a year on the Day of Atonement. And then after we get from chapter 16 and begin in 17, and we start learning about throughout the remainder of the chap book, uh, 17 to 27, the difference between the profane and the holy. And so we have last week looking at the difference between clean and unclean and that which is holy versus propane, profane uh, as we'll conclude the book, as we'll look at those coming up. And you can be clean, but it doesn't mean you're holy. Holy in the sense meant here in the book of Leviticus, that which is clean is made holy, set apart to serve God, as was the high priest, as was the priest in Israel, as was the tabernacle. It was clean, but it was also made holy. And so we're going to see that process here. And a national cleansing that would happen once a year on the Day of Atonement. And this is significant because according to the Word of God, and we get to chapter 17, verse 11, According to the word of God, almost all things are purified by the blood. And so these two chapters speak so much about the work of Jesus Christ, his work of salvation in the church and for the world. So another way to look at this, everything from Leviticus 1 to 15 has been leading up to this pivotal point in the book of Leviticus, where here in chapter 16, Israel's sins are atoned for on the Day of Atonement. And then Israel is given instructions how they should conduct themselves as the redeemed of the Lord from chapter 17 through 27. And so really a turning point, key hinge point, we might say, you almost would say chapter 16, that's what I have open in my Bible. It's kind of a hinge point in the book of Leviticus. So we pick up, and I titled the overall study, Atoned by the Blood of the Lamb. And in chapter 16, I titled this chapter, At One Ment. It's just something that I heard Pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, I believe when I was out there, 
uh, as a student in the School of Ministry in the early 90s, maybe I heard it afterwards, but I heard him say and break down the word atonement and break it down at one minute and just not only helps you to spell the word, but the meaning of the word that we are at one with God. And so at one minute or atonement, Leviticus chapter 16, 1 through 34. A key verse that I picked out of here, and there could be many, but I picked verse 30 that says, For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. And so it is a key thing to be cleansed of our sins before the Lord. On the day of atonement, it was held on the 10th day of the seventh month that came six months after the spring Passover. It was the only time of the year that the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. And in my New King James Bible, and it's probably because how they... Well, actually, they put place in here. I just noticed that they put place in italics. That meant means when the translator in the New King James, King James, probably the other translations of the Bible, when they put the words in italics, it means that they inserted that word there to help you better understand it. So the Hebrew simply said in verse 2, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at simply any time into the holy inside the veil. And so I have been accustomed to say that the holy place was the first chamber of the tabernacle where the priest would minister daily before the Lord, where the table of the showbread was located, where the menorah was located, where the uh, altar of incense was there before the curtain. But here the holy, verse 2, come into the holy inside the veil. That speaks of the inner chamber of the tabernacle, the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat were located. And so we begin with how that one time, that one day of the year, how the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat were kept. And it begins in verses 1 and 2, saying, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of his sons, and the two sons of Aaron, when they had offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come just at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die, for I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. So in chapter 10, as I mentioned, in verse 1, it tells us that Nadab and Abihu Aaron's sons, as priests in Israel, offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So they did something that the Lord had not commanded in their worship before the Lord. They had failed to approach the Lord in the prescribed manner according to the law. In other words, they failed to regard the Lord as holy and to glorify him before all the people. And that is what God spoke. Through Moses to Aaron in Leviticus 10.3, saying, so God speaking through Moses to Aaron, Leviticus 10.3, by those who come near to me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. So they disregarded the Lord in their actions. And we don't have a lot of detail exactly what the profane fire was. I mean, they were to burn incense. It could have been incense that were not set apart for use at the tabernacle. They could have just been any old incense. We don't know. Uh, the fire to burn the incense was to come from the altar of burnt offering. And so they could have brought a fire that came from another altar at another place. It could be as God would make statement to Aaron that he shouldn't come and minister before the Lord intoxicated. It could be that they were drunk. It could be a combination of these things. We don't know exactly what they did except 
they offered profane fire before the Lord, and the Lord consumed them. So here in chapter 16, God gives detail to the only legitimate way to enter into the Holy of Holies. I think this is so key as I think about this because we have people in our world today and in our church today that in many ways they are more like Nadab and Abihu than they would want to admit. And they're teaching others to attempt to enter in to the holy place, enter into worship with God in an unprescribed way, in an unprescribed manner. And they are, as Nahab and Abihu did, they are not regarding the Lord as holy, and they are not bringing glory to God. And so I, I think the people in this world and in some parts of the church today, they can be guilty of these very same things. So for the nation of Israel, there was specific things that must take place. We read about that in verses 3 through 10. And so we kind of get a, a summary of what is going to take place before it happens. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with the linen sash and the linen turban shall be his attire. These are holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kid goats as a sin offering, one ram as a burnt offering. Verse 6, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for which, which is for himself and make atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots for the goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. So Yom Kippur, uh, the Day of Atonement, was the only time of the year that the high priest could enter into the holy place. There behind the veil where the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat were found, his first duty on the Day of Atonement was to remove his high priestly garment and to put on the holy linen garments of the priest, kind of the common garments. All the priests wore the linen garments, but often they would put these garments on underneath their robes. This was what he wore for this occasion on the Day of Atonement. And it seems, um, as we read on later on in this chapter, when he would put the holy garment on again, that he did this dress changing in the holy place because he was to leave the holy garments there in the holy place uh, and then come out in his priestly garb once again before the people of Israel. And so it, it appears by combining what we'll read later in this chapter that the washing and the changing took place in the holy place although it doesn't go into specific detail on that, but it does talk about his changing back into his priestly garments. To me, he put on a common attire. Remember, God was to be glorified and was to be holy before Israel. This was not about the high priest. It was about God and the atonement that he would offer on the day of atonement before the people. So once clothed in the linen garments, he took the two kid goats from the children of Israel, one for the sin offering, one ram as a burnt offering. There was a total of five animals required on the Day of Atonement. One bull, two goats. These were sin offerings. And then two rams. These were for burnt offerings. One the bull for the priests, one goat for the people, the other goat as a scapegoat, again for the people, the two rams, one for the priest, one 
for the people. And so a total of five animals were required to be offered on that day, except the one that was released as the scapegoat. He was not killed on that day. The high priest could only enter into the Holy of Holies with the blood of the atonement of the sin offering. First with the blood of the bull that he entered for himself and his sons. So he would first kill the bull as a sin offering, take some of the blood of the bull, enter into the Holy of Holies, sprinkle it on the mercy seat seven times, and this was for atonement for himself and his household for his son. The second, the blood of the kid goat that was offered for the people, he would enter a second time, again sprinkling seven times the blood, this time of the kid goat for the, that represented the sins of the people, the covering for the people. He would offer it there and sprinkle that blood seven times. So he'd enter twice into the Holy of Holies. He could not enter apart from the blood of the sacrifice there of the sin offering. The rams were offered as burnt offerings. And we studied this at the beginning of Leviticus. A burnt offering refers to one's total consecration or dedication to the Lord. And so that was an offering of celebration that happened after the atonement and the sin offerings were offered. And so verses 11 through 19, we'll grab a big hunk of scripture here. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself to make atonement for himself and for his house, and it, and shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals from the fire of the altar before the Lord, with his hand full of sweet incense beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. So there is this cloud becomes a screen. So he enters into the Holy of Holies, but he has this burning incense that kind of covers the Holy of Holies in the sense that he doesn't get clear view of the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. Lest he die. So this was a necessary step. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his fingers on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his fingers seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering. So he comes back out. He shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do what, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull sprinkled on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. He shall make atonement for the holy place. So it's not only a, a day of cleansing for the children of Israel where their sins are atoned for on the day of atonement. It is also a cleansing of the tabernacle, the holy place, the holy of holies, the altars, as I said before, and the whole year of sacrifices being offered daily. This was a, a ceremonial cleansing of the holy place, making it as new before the Lord once again. So he shall make, verse 16, atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. So the, God's tabernacle was holy. It was set apart as holy. But for a year, it would bear the sins of the people. Some say, some of the commentators believe that this first day of atonement had to do more with the cleansing that was caused because of Nahab and Abihu and their profane fire that they presented before the Lord. Uh, there hadn't been a year of offerings at this point. They had just dedicated the tabernacle 
and now the Day of Atonement came. So some say it was more about that on this particular occasion, perhaps that is correct, but from here on after, it's a matter of uh, that year of sins, having that Day of Atonement, a day of affliction for the children of Israel. Verse 16, I'll read again. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, because of their transgressions, for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Verse 17, there shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. Verse 18, he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around it so the altar of burnt offerings. And then he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times, cleanse it, and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. So, yes, it was a day where Israel's sins were purged, an annual purging of the sins of Israel, kind of wiping the slate clean day for the children of Israel. But it was more so about the cleansing of the tabernacle and the holy place there in the midst of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, keeping the tabernacle later on the temple as holy before the Lord for the coming year of offerings. In verses 20 through 28, we're told about the scapegoat. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins. I read it that way. It seems like he would have been there a long time with his hands on the head of that goat. If he's confessing all their transgressions, all their sins, it could have been a, a simple confession. But the idea of this, by laying his hands upon the head of the goat, he was putting, placing the sins of the people, his sins as well, and his household upon this goat, that they should, verse 21, send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all the iniquities to an uninhabited land, and it shall be released, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, take off the linen garments which he had put on, when he went before the holy place and leave them there. So the change here took place in the holy place, the first chamber of the tabernacle. He leaves the holy garments there, puts on, well, first, 24, he washes again with water in the holy place, puts on his garments, so his priestly, high priestly garments, he comes out and offers his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people to make atonement for himself and the people. So with the burnt offering, we learned about this. I believe Leviticus, let me go back to the, yeah, the first chapter of Leviticus was the burnt offering. And in the offering of the burnt offering, even though it speaks about that total consecration to the Lord, Leviticus chapter 1, verse 4 says, Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. So that's the process of the burnt offering as well, in a sense, the atoning of the sins. But here, speaking about that total consecration of the people to the Lord. So he shall offer the fat of the sin offering shall be burned on the altar, verse 25. Verse 26, he who releases the goat as a scapegoat shall walk his clothes, bathe his body with water, and afterwards he may come into the camp. 
and the bull of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering whose blood was brought to make atonement in the holy place shall be carried outside the camp they shall be burned in fire with their skins their flesh and their offal then he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body with water and afterwards he shall come into the camp and so uh, they were momentarily unclean they would have to wash cleanse themselves and come back into the camp but the sin offerings were burned outside the camp the burnt offerings were wholly consumed on the altar because they were sweet smelling aroma offerings before the lord it doesn't say that here in chapter 16 but we did read about that in chapter 1 so it was a savory offering before the lord the sin offering although as a sin offering what wasn't burned up on the altar as part of the offering the rest was burned up outside the camp so the idea of these rituals surrounding the ceremonial washings the changing of the high priest garments the linen garments that he wore while ministering in the holy of holies and his priestly garments that he wore while ministering before the people as he put them back on with the ritual of the scapegoat by the casting of lots to choose the goat one for the sin offering one as the scapegoat for the people after offering the sin offerings aaron came out placed his hands on the live goat confessed over it that it would bear the sins of israel then the live goat was turned loose to take it out into the wilderness in a sense as their sins being removed from the camp of israel I'd heard once in a message, and not preached by me, but by someone else, that they even set guard to make sure that that scapegoat stayed outside the camp, that he didn't roam back in. He didn't want the sins coming back into the camp. So they made sure that he got well off in the wilderness. When Aaron finished that work putting on his priestly garments again offering the burnt offerings before the lord one for himself and his sons and other for the people he finally releasing that live goat into the wilderness another man sent on a task to burn up the carcasses of the sin offering that of the bull and the goat outside the camp all of these things the process of atonement will find have a connection with the work of jesus christ hebrews 13 11 says for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp and there's a reason for that and we'll connect that to christ in a moment but let's go ahead first and finish out the scripture in this passage a day of affliction and rest verses 29 through 34 and we'll read the remainder of the chapter and it shall be a statue forever for you in the seventh month on the tenth day of the month you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all whether a native of your own country or a stranger who sojourns among you for on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the lord it is verse 31 it is a sabbath of solemn rest for you and you shall afflict your souls it is a statue forever it's kind of like good friday for us in that day of remembering the work of jesus christ on the cross how it's a somber day in one sense as we remember the sacrifice of cross of the cross and jesus there and the sins that he took there upon the cross our sins it is kind of like that an affliction of our own souls on that day this is a sabbath of solemn rest verse 31 and then 32 and the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place shall make atonement so the high priest shall make atonement and put on the linen cloths the holy garments then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary and he shall atone for the tabernacle of meeting for the altar and he shall make atonement for the priest and for all the people and for the congregation 
This shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. So kind of like a day of wiping the slate clean for the children of Israel. Verse 31, that Sabbath of solemn rest has also been translated the Sabbath of Sabbaths. This one was set apart. It was on that Sabbath of Sabbaths that Israel's sins were atoned for. And in anticipation of that, they were to afflict their souls. Not only were their sins atoned for, but that of the tabernacle, the cleansing of the tabernacle, where all the daily offerings would take place throughout the year. In other words, it was a day of new beginnings for the children of Israel, having their sins atoned for, that they might experience renewed fellowship with the Lord who redeemed them. But also the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16, so key in the work of Jesus, the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. And I'll do kind of a comparison of what the high priest did and the work that was done on the Day of Atonement compared to the work of Jesus Christ. And the high priest first could only enter on the appointed day in the appointed way with the blood of the appointed offerings. Jesus offered himself once as an offering for our sins. And so in a sense, Jesus, the Son of God, entered into his work on the appointed day over and over again in the Gospel of John, it, it tells us about the day. It was not his hour, not yet his time. And then finally we get, to, I think, to chapter 11, and it changes and said his hour had come. And that hour, talking about the cross, his work upon the cross, the appointed day in the appointed way. And Jesus was not to be stoned. Uh, in Nazareth, they tried to throw him off a cliff. He wasn't going to die that way. He wasn't going to die by death by stoning any other way than that of the cross, the appointed way, and also with the atonement sacrifice of the blood, his own blood. Hebrews 9.26, then he would have suffered often since the foundation of the world, but now, once at the end of the age, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So what the high priest had to do annually, Jesus came to do once and for all. The high priest also had to lay aside his priestly garments, put on the common clothes of the priests to enter the Holy of Holies. Remember, God was the one who was to be presented as holy and to be glorified before the people. It was not to be the high priest. In a similar way, Jesus laid aside his deity. He came in the likeness of humanity as philippians 2 beginning in the end of verse 5 through 7 says christ jesus who being in the form of god did not consider it robbery to be equal with god but made himself of no reputation taking on the form of a bond service servant coming in the likeness of men and so the high priest on the day of atonement laid aside his high priestly garments, put on the common clothes of the priest, Jesus laid aside his deity and put on humanity. Third, the high priest entered the Holy of Holies alone. No one could come in and help him. Hey, you need some help changing? No, alone. He did the work alone. Jesus did the work of redemption upon the cross alone. John 16, 32, indeed the hour is coming, yes, it has come, that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And then he said, yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. But in the sense of Jesus doing the work there upon the cross alone, so the high priest had to do the work on the day of atonement alone. The high priest, number four, had to enter by the blood of the sin offering. Jesus entered the Holy of Holies there in heaven with his own blood. 
Hebrews 9, 11, and 12, but Christ came as the high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, obtaining eternal redemption. Number five, the scapegoat bore the sins of the priest and the people and Jesus bore the sins of the whole world. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Number six, the carcass of the sin offerings were carried outside the camp. Jesus was crucified outside the gates, Jerusalem proper, we might say. Hebrews 13, 11, and 12, for the bodies of those animals whose blood was brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for the sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gates. Number seven, the high priest, and the last one, the high priest of Israel became the mediator between God and the nation of Israel, Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and all of humanity. First Timothy 2.5 says, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. So I titled it at one Mint because it is only by the work of our high priest, Jesus Christ, that our sins are atoned for through his death, burial, and glorious resurrection to make us one with him. In chapter 17, a shorter chapter, speaking about blood and the significance of the blood, the key verse is Leviticus 17.11. And I was thinking about this earlier. Mike, you always ask, what's the new memory verse for next month? Leviticus 17.11. We need to know this verse. And it's counterverse um, in Hebrews 9.22 as well. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for your souls. Now, this was true for the children of Israel in the sacrificial system that they lived under, but it's also true in the church age as Jesus Christ came to be a fulfillment of all that was written in the Old Testament and the fulfillment of that sacrifice, now it's his blood that makes atonement for our souls. So Leviticus 17.11, key verse in the book of Leviticus, one that we should have memorized. So there are two main things that are accomplished in this chapter. First, the Lord establishes his support for the Levitic Levitical priesthood. And second, he establishes the blood as the means for atonement. So establishing his support for the Levitical priesthood, verses 1 through 7. See, we've had a transition. Um, all of Israel's eyes were pretty much looking to Moses for everything. In fact, Moses was the first one to offer sacrifices there to dedicate the tabernacle and to anoint Aaron, his brother, as the high priest and his sons as the priest. Moses was serving as priest before God, but he at the same time was transferring his role to Aaron and to his sons. So now God lifts Aaron up before the people. In verses 1 through 7, we read, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, in verse 2, Speak to Aaron and to his sons and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Whatever man of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp or who kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer as an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guilt shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood. And that man shall be cut off from among the people to the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer in the open field 
that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting to the priest and offer them as a peace offering to the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and burn the fat for the sweet aroma to the Lord. They shall no more offer them their sacrifices to demons after whom they have played the harlot. This shall be a statue forever throughout their generations. So not only taking from Moses and Moses taking some of his authority that the Lord had given him as he established initially the anointing and the offerings when the tabernacle was set up, but also in Israel at that time, prior to this, in every household, they had the custom without the written written word of God, they had the custom of appointing usually the eldest son, as the family priest. And so they had no set place to offer sacrifices. There was no tabernacle. We're talking about from the time of Aaron, uh, sorry, from the time of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph and his brothers in Israel, the 400 years of captivity, they went without a prescribed place or a prescribed priest in worshiping. But that was all to change at this point. No longer would someone in the household represent their household as the family priest. And we do read about this later on in the the book of the Kings, um, how the tribe of Dan hired a priest to be priest over their tribe. He was not a legitimate priest. He was of the tribe of Levite, but not a son of Aaron. And yet, this would be sin for them from this point forward. Israel, up to this point, had no standard of worship. And it resulted in their sacrifices being performed in the open fields among the high hills, much like the pagans did. And some, as he said, offering to the demons, some were even worshiping other gods. So God formed Israel into a nation. They were no longer allowed to offer these these sacrifices just by anyone in any place to any God. From this time forward, all offerings had to be made with the proper priesthood in the proper place and to God alone. So no longer by anyone in any place or to any God, but now from this day forward, And the proper priesthood had to offer the offering in the proper place. And to God alone, these offerings were to be offered. Numbers 3.10. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall attend to the priesthood. But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. So to be cast out, to be put to death, cut off from among the people, uh, as it said there in verse 17, four, for someone who would go against and have this blood guilt upon them, uh, they would be cut off. It was really a nice way of saying they were to be put to death. So no other way, verses eight and nine. Whenever a man of the house of Israel or a stranger who dwells among you, who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from among his people. So it didn't matter if it was an Israeli or a foreigner living among the Israelis. Anyone who would offer an unapproved sacrifice in an unapproved way, remember, not just anyone, not in any place, not to any God, They were to be cut off. They were to be put to death. Later on, that meaning of being cut off uh, actually was kind of an excommunication to be put out of the community, which meant loss of relationships, livelihood, the privileges of worshiping at the tabernacle. We find this in the Gospel of John when Jesus healed a man And that man's parents were questioned by the Jews. They wanted the parents to kind of narc on Jesus. And 
And the parents did say something, but it tells us the reason why, what was behind it, this excommunication. In John 9.22, his parents of this man said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews have agreed already that if anyone confessed that Jesus was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. So initially, we're reading the Old Testament about someone being cut off. It meant they were cut off, they were put to death. Ultimately, it would refer to someone being excommunicated. And again, it meant a loss of their relationships, their livelihoods, privileges to worship. So in setting apart the sons of Aaron and Aaron as the priesthood, God set the nation of Israel apart from all the other nations of the world. God would say, as we get to Deuteronomy 7, 9, 7, 6, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. So there was a setting apart, not only for Aaron and his sons, but for the nation of Israel, how they were to conduct themselves before the Lord as the people of God. Today, it is through the atoning work of our high priest, Jesus Christ, that we have been set apart. In Titus 2, verses 13 and 14, Paul wrote, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, purifying for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And the setting aside of the blood, life in the blood, 10 and 11, and whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among them who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats the blood. I will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Here in the book of Leviticus, we have read of several types of sacrifices, offerings. There were animal sacrifices, grain offerings, drink offerings. Uh, yet it was only through the blood that sins were atoned for. And you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, or after the Garden of Eden, after the fall, and two of the sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Remember the offerings that were offered. One offered the work of his hands. Cain offered the vegetables, the fruit of his garden. But Abel offered the lamb, the blood of the lamb. And Abel's offering was received by God, accepted by God, and Cain's was not. Why? Well, it explains it for us here in Leviticus 17.11. It is the blood that makes atonement for the souls. So a grain offering won't suffice. A drink offering won't suffice. Only the blood can make atonement for our souls. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin only by the blood of the Lamb. So the sanctity of the blood, verses 12 through 16, finishing out the chapter. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, no one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. And whatever a man of the children of Israel or of the strangers who sojourns among you, who hunts and catches any of the animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust, for it is the life of all flesh. It is blood that sustains its life. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, you shall not eat in the blood of the flesh, for the life of all flesh is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. And every person who eats 
what died naturally or what was torn by beasts, whether he is a native of your own country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Then he shall be clean. So one of your animals dies of a natural cause and you have steaks that night. You didn't sin, but you became unclean. You had to wash, you had to wait until evening to be clean again. Verse 16, if he does not wash, he does not bathe his body, he shall bear his guilt. So it could become sin, but if he, in the proper and prescribed manner, it was still, he would still be acceptable before God. So God gave the sanctity of blood. God placed prohibition against the eating of the blood. He gave instructions how to properly drain the animals when they were killed. Uh, we learned about this last week, talking about the clean and unclean, the kosher diet. And that word for kosher means that which is fit or appropriate or suitable for consumption. It speaks a lot about the way of how an animal is handled and uh, how the blood then also connecting it to verse 11, because the blood makes atonement for the soul. God set apart the blood, made it special so even on all the days of the year, not just the Day of Atonement, when their sins were atoned for through the blood of the bull and the goats and these offerings, they had to maintain a proper handling of the blood all the days of their life, even the foreigners who lived among them. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And Jesus Christ, with his own blood, made atonement for our souls, went into the holy of holies of heaven's glory with his own blood to sprinkle as the high priest that our souls might be atoned for. So memorize Leviticus 17.11, the counter verse, Hebrews 9.22. According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Hebrews 9, 12 says, But with the blood of the goats and calves, with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So each person, we have to, today in the church age, we have to apply the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We have to apply his blood by faith in his name. Once the blood has been applied, we find forgiveness of sin and fellowship with Christ. Ephesians 1, 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. I know today um, we have such a woke world, especially here in the United States, trying to disconnect with our founding fathers. But I found this interesting, and, and we talk about the founding fathers and the writing of the Declaration of Independence and then go all the way back to the pilgrims and uh, all that they did when they came in 1621, I believe it was there in November landing in um, the harbor there in Cape Town and they were so young. You know, today it's like, well, boys don't really mature until they're like 27 or 28 years old. Listen to what George Washington wrote at 20 years old in a prayer journal. He actually titled his prayer journal, Daily Sacrifices. So this is just one little paragraph. He said, Direct my thoughts, words, and work. Wash away my sins by the immaculate blood of the Lamb and purge my heart by the Holy Spirit. Daily frame me more and more into the likeness of thy, th thy Son, Jesus Christ. Written by George Washington at 20 years old. Direct my thoughts, words, work. Wash away my sins by the immaculate blood of the Lamb. Purge my heart by the Holy Spirit. Daily frame me more and more into the likeness of thy Son, Jesus Christ. I tell you, we need more 
young men and women who have a prayer like that, God will do great things with them. Back in 1876, Robert Lowry published his song, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. There's a lot of blood songs I've been singing this afternoon. This is one that came to mind. I'll read the first verse and chorus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Today, our sins have been atoned for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And it is only through Christ that we can have fellowship with him. Let's go ahead and stand together. I was talking, I had lunch with a friend last week, and we were talking about sharing Christ. And I had our family camp t-shirt on, the five finger evangelism t-shirt and my friend looked at me he said the abc's he listens to my podcast and so we're going to do the abc's i haven't done it in a while and uh, this is a method that you can use to help lead others to christ and the abc's of salvation first the a is for admit admit to god that you are a sinner and ask for his forgiveness romans 3 23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and first john 1 9 uh, just reassures us that if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness the first step is admitting before god that we are sinners Step number two, the B, believe. Believe in the work that Jesus did upon the cross. His death, his burial, his resurrection, I like to add, his ascension into heaven to the right hand of the Father. And receive that gift of salvation. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates, Paul wrote it in present tense, God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Though the work of Jesus upon the cross is a past work, Paul wrote it in a present tense way that God to this day demonstrates his love through the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. So we have to believe and see is for confess. Confess your faith in Jesus Christ. Share that faith with others. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If anybody's listening on the radio at a later time through a podcast or um, at some other time through video, you have questions regarding faith, please email us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. This coming Sunday, we continue going through the Sermon on the Mount. We are in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to finish out chapter 6. And I titled this coming Sunday's message, A Believer's Priority, or Priorities, plural. Believer's Priorities. Maybe I'll just change that title before I get to Sunday and drop that, A Believer's. Believer's Priorities. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your work. We thank you, Lord, for your provision in our lives. And especially, Lord, tonight, learning about the Day of Atonement and the sanctity, the setting apart of the blood. How, Lord, our sins have been atoned for by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we might be one with you. We give you praise for that work. And we ask, Lord, that you would bring healing to those who need healing. That, Lord, you'd work in the issues of the lives that we all go through and the challenges that we all have. Though they may be different challenges, the needs are always there, Lord. Show yourself strong in behalf of your people, in behalf of this church. We ask, Lord, that you would bring provision for this fellowship, 
but for the people who worship here as well. Lord, we are living in challenging times. And uh, Father, help us to trust as we learned on Sunday. Give us this day our daily bread. We trust for your provision over our lives. And we ask, Lord, that you would just bless us now as we go home to our families, as we're out and about tomorrow. May we be testimonies of the work of Jesus Christ to all those who we meet. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.